Hey friends, I'm Jess Connolly. I'm an author, a coach, a Bible teacher, and a local church leader. And I love talking to real people who know what it means to have full lives, but also want to walk in abundance. This podcast is for you. It's not my podcast, it's ours. It's for people who crave lighthearted conversations and deeply spiritual truth. It's for people who are busy, tired, waiting, growing, dreaming, working, or praying about what's next. Wherever you're listening from, if it's quiet, mundane, or busy, I am praying for you and I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Friendship is hard. It's really difficult. We are in a series on friendship. And last time we went kind of light, then we talked about friendship with God. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the underbelly, the hard, messy parts of friendship. What happens when it goes wrong? Every person I know seems to struggle with friendships at some point. The women that I know who seem to have the perfect friendships, still sometimes feel alone, hurt, disappointed, and lonely. I have such an interesting viewpoint as a coach and as a church leader in that I will see women who look like they're living the friendship dream, but then I hear differently from them when I counsel them. A lot of men I know crave deeper friendships and think there must be something wrong with them that they don't have them. And I don't think there's something wrong with us if friendships are difficult for us. I think that being known by people and developing deep connections with them is messy. Applying the gospel to ourselves and to other people is messy. Forgiving people and learning to trust people again is messy, but it is worth it. Today, we're talking about the darker side of friendship, what to do when things go wrong or get hard and heavy. I'm sharing some things I've learned, some things I've learned the hard way by doing it wrong and having to pivot, some things I've learned through pain, and some things I've learned by watching other people love well. We're going there in this episode, how to know when it's time to move on, how to heal from a friendship breakup, when politics or parenting or anything else comes in between your friendship, and so much more. I'm with you in this. Friendship is messy, but it is so worth it. Let's go. Okay, we are going to really hit maybe six big questions today, and these are not in a particular order of how you might experience them in a relationship. They're honestly in order of how frequently you all ask them when I said, hey, what are your biggest pain point in friendship? So our first question is kind of starting at the end, but it's one of the most frequent ones that I heard from you all. The first question we're going to talk about today is when is it time to end a friendship? So here's what I want to say. I think that there's so much humility and wisdom in asking this question because what you're acknowledging is that not every friendship is forever. And it's not. That hasn't been the case for me. Not every friendship has been forever. Not every friendship that I thought would be forever has been forever. And I think there's so much humility in acknowledging that things end. And sometimes they end well, and sometimes they end difficultly. How do we know when it's the right time to move on from a friendship? So I want to actually just ask you more questions to think about if this is a question you're thinking about right now. And the first question that I think we all have to weigh out is, What is truly toxic behavior and what is just sin? I think that especially in the year of our Lord, 2023, and 
TikTok culture and us calling everything a red flag, et cetera, we've forgotten that people need Jesus. People who love God and mean well get selfish. They lie. They make mistakes. They act pridefully. They struggle with things. And that is sin. And thank God we have the power of the gospel that covers our sin and makes us not only right with God, but able to be right with other people. And so I think a lot of times there's this kind of preconception that if Christians are friends, they won't sin on each other. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We have to kind of wrestle out, is this toxic? Is this unhealthy? Is this like an alliance or connection that is really not glorifying God? And again, here are some follow-up questions to help you figure that out. A question that is really helpful for me in figuring out, is this person just in sin or are they maybe so unhealthy that this is going to be an unhealthy relationship for me? Is Are they willing to talk about it? Are they willing to talk about whatever sin it is or whatever issue it is or whatever misconception there is? Because again, also sometimes things feel like sin when they're coming at us and maybe just that we have a misunderstanding of somebody's intentions. So is your friend willing to talk about what's hard or what's not working? And then the fun follow-up question to that is, are you willing to talk about your part in it? Because a lot of times when we want to talk about tension or conflict or sin in a friendship, we only want to talk about somebody else's. And it's a never situation that we're going to be the sinless one in a relationship, even if we're not the one causing deep pain or if we're not, you know, in a real pit, et cetera, we're still not ever going to be in a place where we don't have something to examine of ourselves I would say another question to ask about whether or not it's the right time to move on from a friendship is, is there vision and common ground? If I have somebody, even if we have had a massive misunderstanding, even if we have hurt each other, if they're willing to talk about it and I'm willing to talk about it, and also if we have vision about what our friendship means to the kingdom or how it's going to help other people or how it's going to serve other people, and also some common ground, something that unites us, I can push past a lot. Another question I would like to give you is, can you be at peace with them even if you're not best friends? Maybe it's the right time to move on from a really in-depth and connected relationship and move into a more nominal or casual relationship. I've actually had this conversation with a friend in the past where we have not said like, hey, we're not gonna be friends ever again, but we said, I think that what's happening is a relationship is changing and we're always gonna love each other and we're always gonna support each other and we're always gonna pray for each other and we're always gonna keep each other's names safe, but we're not gonna share the same connection and maybe even closeness that we had in the past. That is gonna shift. And I think that's okay. So when is the right time to move on? My last encouragement for you is talk to God about this because Holy Spirit will give you insight. And what's wild is especially if this person is someone who hears from God, I find that a lot of times Holy Spirit will give them insight too. For me, just being totally transparent and saying like, I have definitely have friendships end or shift or change when we have both been believers And we've both been actually praying about what's happening and what we can do. We've both ended up on the same page about what or how it needed to shift. And I was really grateful for that. 
All right. So let's say you've asked all the questions and you've decided, or maybe it's been decided for you that it's time for a friendship breakup. I just saw a reel going around. So I didn't really understand the whole Roman Empire thing. People had to explain it to me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to tell you right now. Apparently, somebody asked a man, like, what do you think about all day? And he said the Roman Empire. And then men collectively kept saying, like, you don't even know how much we think about the Roman Empire. I'm not even sure I'm getting the story right, but essentially men think about the Roman Empire. True story. I don't really know when or what the Roman Empire was. I, don't, I definitely don't think about it. But now people have been asking, what is the female equivalent of the Roman Empire? And I saw a reel going around this week on Instagram where a woman said, it's our ex-best friends. That's our Roman Empire. We think about our ex-best friends every single day of our lives. And I have to say, that is very true in my life. I don't think about people that my ex-best friends, I don't think about them every day. I think about them a couple times a week <laughs> and I think about how they're doing and at my best, I pray for them. And at my worst, I replay an argument or a hurt and how I wish I had done something different or how I wish they had done something different. So how in the world do we handle a friendship breakup? Here's my number one rule that I've learned. And I just want you to know, I probably take this too far. Clarity is kindness. And so what I mean by that is that if I am changing or shifting or ending a friendship with anyone, I am going to let them know. And I'm going to, I'm going to try in the name of Jesus to be very clear about this. Um, I'm going to say, here's why, here's what this is going to look like for me. Here's what my new boundaries are going to be with you here. Like new rhythms that I'm going to have with you that maybe I didn't have before. I've gone as far as to say like, okay, we are not going to be extra, extra, extra best close friends anymore. How often do we think we're going to check in on each other? What is the expectation here? Hey, this feels heavy and awkward. I love you. We bless you. We're parting ways. How do we want to act around each other when we do see each other? What do we want that to look like? For me, clarity is kindness. And so communicating what I need and asking what they need and what the expectations are is just the healthiest way to end a friendship. But here's my encouragement to you that I've learned, again, the hard way, the wrong way, and by seeing other people do this well and taking note. Even when you are not friends with someone anymore, or even when you're not close friends with them anymore, in the name of Jesus, you've got to treat them like image bearers of God. Don't ever say they're the worst. Just don't. In general, I don't think we should say this about anybody like, oh, she's the worst. People are image bearers of God and they deserve to be treated with dignity and they deserve to be encouraged even privately by people who don't appreciate them. I think it's really important to treat people, especially followers of Jesus, like they're going to be in heaven with us one day because they are. I don't know about y'all. Maybe my Roman empire is like the book of Revelation, but I do often think about what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. I do often think about the new heaven and the new earth. From my perspective, I believe there's biblical evidence that we will know each other, even though our relationships will be different and the focus of our life will be different. But I don't, I, I know that because all sin and pain will be gone, I won't be side-eyeing anyone in heaven and being like, how did she get in here? So I want to practice for that now on earth. I want to try on my best days to see everybody as image bearers of God, to see them as holy and loved. And truly, 
you guys know I'm, I'm all about rest and exhaustion and fighting and fighting this fatigue that a lot of us are dealing with. And while I was writing tired of being tired, one thing that God continually showed me over and over again is that defensiveness and pride is exhausting. And because a lot of us are living in narratives about A, B, and C, them being the worst, or that she was like the villain in this situation and I am the victim, because we actually know that to not be true, because you and I are inside our own souls and we know how sinful we are, what we actually do is that we act so defensively and we feel so much shame about who we are. And guess what? That is actually spiritually exhausting. It's so much more restful to say, I'm a sinner and I do a lot wrong. And I didn't do everything right in that situation. I'm not even sure that I know what I did, but I want to know and I want to understand. And this person may have hurt me or may have disappointed me or may have walked in a way that made me not want to be friends with them anymore, but it's actually less exhausting to hope the best in people. Keep their name safe. I want you to know my hands are up right now and I am not saying that I have been the best ever about keeping people's names safe. And in fact, I have done this incredibly wrong. I've said things in processing or in prayer that I regretted saying later. I hope and I pray that something that people in my life would say is true about me is that I apologize when I don't keep people's names safe. In fact, I will say amongst my closest friends and my team, they have said like, if you could stop apologizing for this, it it would be a little more helpful because sometimes you're just like sharing something that happened to you and, and you take it too far. And now we feel bad because we were like sitting there listening to it. When I don't keep someone's name safe, I do try to apologize and make it right and say like, you know what? I was maybe processing or saying this and I just said things that I shouldn't have said. I had to text a few friends a couple of weeks ago because I wasn't meaning to, but I ended up complaining about some other people and I just had to call them and say like, listen, that wasn't it. I shouldn't have been complaining. You know, please forgive me. And what that does is it's not that it makes me like uber accountable and scared of my sin, but what it does is that when I repent, then I feel the refreshment that makes me move on differently. And I remember like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I'm less likely to do it again the next time. But we're saying a lot of spiritual words about not gossiping, but you know, my least, the non-spiritual words that also really inform me about this is the old, I don't know what you call it, like a limerick, a rhyme that what Susie says of Sally says more about Susie than Sally. And I know really quickly whether or not someone is going to be a safe friend for me by paying attention to how they talk about other people. And if you would tell me something that someone else has told you in confidence, or if you would complain about someone else, or if you would gossip about somebody else, or If you would even talk horribly about them after you're not in relationship with them, I have a guidebook for how you're going to talk about me and what you're going to do with me. And that is very humbling and convicting for me and the way that I talk about people. And that's partially why I apologize. If I talk to somebody else about somebody else, I apologize to the person I talk to because I want them to know like, this is not okay with me. I didn't just go home and feel easy peasy about it because I want you to know that I wouldn't feel easy peasy about putting your name in my mouth in that way. So I want to just give you a banner over this lesson on handling a friendship breakup. Doing it the kingdom way will be hard. It will feel almost impossible and it will be worth it. And you will be grateful um, that you tried in the name of Jesus to handle it with humility. Let's talk about politics, parenting, 
and everything else that you could fight with your friends about. Let's talk about what happens if you don't like your friend's spouse. Let's talk about what happens if there's some huge thing that all of a sudden you realize you guys don't agree about. What in the world do we do? Well, here's my number one encouragement. If Jesus could snap his fingers and we'd all agree, I think that he would. I actually, I do believe that he could, but he doesn't for some reason. For some reason, Jesus does not just snap his fingers or nod his head or speak a word and all of us see everything in the world from the same perspective. And so I think the key word here is perspective. To me, the most powerful and humble and loving and kind thing we can do is ask our friends how they got to a certain perspective. I'll never forget in 2020, you know, the world's most polarizing year for many of us in our lifetime, I went to go see an old friend. And while I was there, I realized that we had incredibly differing opinions on something. And I mean, we couldn't, we were as far as the East from the West. And in general, I'm not a crazy vocal person about my political stance online. And the main reason why that is, is because I'm a local church leader and I want people to be able to go to my church and know that they can belong without believing exactly what I believe. I don't, again, I don't believe that Jesus has said we all have to be on the exact same page about every single issue. And so I don't want to polarize anyone who would come to my church or who would want to be in community with me. And so this friend didn't know where I stood on these issues. And so she was just speaking really freely about where she stood and assuming maybe that I thought the same. And once I was able to just kind of humbly say like, I do not see it that way. That is not my perspective. I probably didn't say it that gentle, if we're being honest. I think I probably was like, what? Are you kidding me? But once I expressed like, that's not my perspective. I think I asked something along the lines of like, tell me how you got there. And she told me, she told me the story of how she got there. And honestly, it made perfect sense. She told me about stuff that had happened in her past. She told me about stuff that she had experienced. She told me about somebody she had met along the way who had told her a story or given her some insight into this situation. And all of a sudden, you guys, this position that I would not have understood 10 minutes before, I could look at her life perspective and I could say, I see how you got there. I'm way over here still because I got here this way. But asking someone, whether it's parenting or politics or anything else that you do not see eye to eye on, having friendships where you can say like, wow, tell me how you got there and really genuinely be willing to listen, not doing the thing where we're immediately coming up with our response about how they're wrong, but really listening and and trying to understand them is so huge and so important for friendships. So I think that for some of us, this is going to happen when we all of a sudden realize that our friends hold a position about something. And listen, I'm human. This happens to me all the time. I'll be on Instagram and I'll see that a friend of mine has liked a post that I massively disagree with. And I'll be like, oh, interesting. I didn't know you thought that. I didn't know you would even follow this person uh, because the algorithm just showed it to me, but I would never follow this person in a million years. Interesting. And I usually try to say that, like, interesting, not like, oh my gosh, what's her deal? Or a lot of times for a lot of us, our friends are changing and evolving and growing and they're becoming something or their minds are shifting about something or their ideas are shifting about something. And I think whether it's happened all of a sudden, you've found it out all of a sudden, or this has been a gradual shift you've seen in your friend, I think the best 
plan is always to just say, hey, I'd love to hear more. Can you tell me more? And again, the sign of a healthy friendship, what I would say would be them saying back to you, like, now you tell me more. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So that being said, I try to let secondary things be secondary, but not everything can be secondary for you. And we are all going to have issues in our life that we are so passionate about that we say like, I don't know that I could be friends with someone who agrees with X, Y, and Z. Now, where I think this gets tricky is that it's really important to remember that all of those issues are going to be different for each of us. So some of you might be people who say like, I, nobody should be friends with anybody who thinks A, B, and C. I would just encourage you again with this, that God gives us all different passions and different wild convictions in different seasons and being graceful with other people right now will also help us be graceful with our future selves if or when our minds change. But I just thought I would give you some examples of of my non-negotiables. I, this one you might expect, but it also might be surprising. I don't play in the sandbox with anyone who operates out of body shame. Now that's not to say that I can't be friends with people who are struggling with body shame. If they feel insecure in their body, then of course I want to be friends with them. I have compassion. But if someone shames someone else's body, for me, this is like a, I'm out. Or if they consistently do it without repenting, you know what I'm saying? I can't do that. And that doesn't mean that I will go to them and say, I'm so sorry. I cannot be friends with you. You are a body shamer. I don't do that. I just don't pursue a relationship with them. Obviously, anyone for me, I shouldn't even say obviously, because again, we're all going to have different perspectives on this. But one for me that is really important is anybody who would use hate speech in any way, shape or form. Again, I'm not being the police. I'm not being like a trigger warning. But if you're going to use any kind of racially insensitive hate speech or any kind of insensitivity, ageism, sexism, any kind of hate speech without regard to wanting to change your behavior. Now, there are always going to be all of us who accidentally use a phrase that we didn't know was rooted in racism. And as soon as someone says, like an example would be saying the phrase, the master bedroom, right? So a lot of us might've heard or learned in 2020, like the master bedroom is actually called the master bedroom because it was reserved for the master. So there is a connotation here of a slave owner. So let's not use the phrase, the phrase master bedroom anymore. Let's use the phrase primary bedroom. If somebody says master bedroom around me and I don't see any kind of echoing after effects of racism in their life, I'm not going to be like, you're out. You said master bedroom. I might, if they say it five times, I might be like, hey, I don't know if you heard this, but it's kind of a hurtful phrase to say, you know? And I hope in the name of Jesus that my friends would do the same for me as well, that they would say like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you can't say that anymore. It's actually unkind. And again, not because we're policing each other and not because we're trying to be tough on each other, but just because we're all trying to love the whole world better and trying to grow and evolve as humans. All that being said, Body shame is one for me. Hate speech is one for me. But I'm going to tell you a one for me that you really might not expect. I am not in a place in my life where I can be really close friends with negative people. And here's why. I think it might be more of a me problem than a them problem. My problem is that I try to fix negative people. So if you're the kind of person who always walks in the room and says like, oh my gosh, I'm such a mess. Today sucks. I, I can't catch a break. Nothing goes good for me. It's not that I don't love you and that I don't have compassion for you. I do. I actually do. The, the actual real problem here is that I will try to fix you 
and I will try to change the way you talk and I will try to make you love your life and I'll try to make you start a gratitude list and I'll annoy you so much that we will not have a good friendship or I'll feel so burdened about how negative you are that I won't just be able to enjoy you as a person. So I found it is healthier for me to know negative people, to love them and to keep them at a little bit of an arm's length where it entails close friendships. Here's the bottom line about politics, parenting, and everything in between. If you can, remember this. Almost everyone who has a different perspective from you is actually trying to change the world. (laughs) I think for the good. I don't know anyone who is like, I want to burn this place down. I want to make this a horrible place to live. Most people who have a different parenting, political, spiritual, moral perspective from you are trying to do the best that they can. Now, that's not to say that they're not sometimes dead wrong. That's not to say that there's not black and white sometimes about some issues. There is. But I just don't think most people are actually trying to make the world a worse off place. So looking for what you love in your friendships and keeping the line of communication open so that you can hear their perspective and they can hear theirs and having just an unconditional positive regard for them that says, I want to hope the best in you and believe the best in you, even when I don't understand you is a really powerful place to be. What do you do when your friend rejects your wisdom or your insight and or correction, maybe you go to them and you're like, hey, I'm really worried about this thing I see in your life. And they just reject that. Or what do you do when maybe you haven't even gotten that far and you just see your friend veering off into something that you perceive is incredibly unhealthy for them? So the first thing I like to do is number one, I really, really, really do like to wait for somebody to ask me for insight. I have learned, again, the hard way, I just kind of exposed myself and told you guys, I like to be everybody's life coach and I like to fix everybody. And I've learned that is actually pretty exhausting and frustrating in friendships. So I'm trying to work on that. But if you're at a place where I do believe there are points in people's lives where the most loving and kind thing we can do as a friend is say like, get off the train tracks. The train is coming. You are going to get run over. I don't believe that's judging them. I don't even believe that's calling them out. I think sometimes that's saying like, you're about to get run over by a train and I love you too much to do this. So there are times in my friendships where I will go and say, hey, danger. Now I will say, if you find yourself doing that a lot, it may be a them problem or it may be a you problem. Because for me, by the time I would call up a friend and say, I am so worried about this thing. Please talk to me about this. By that point, number one, I would pray that that friend would have heard me speak life and encouragement over her for a long time. So she would know that she could trust my voice. I'm not someone who's critical with her. I'm not judging her. I'm not coming for her. I would hope that she would see the history of my relationship is that I'm on her team. And that I love her. But that being said, the very first question to ask instead of like, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Well, like, what is your problem? I think the very first question to ask is, can I share my perspective on this? And then I think the follow-up question is like, how can I best be your friend if I'm really concerned about your behavior? 
what do you need from me in this? Because I think it gives people the autonomy and the authority to say, I do not want your wisdom and I do not want your insight. And that is an indicator for both of you that is incredibly important. Or they might say, I want your wisdom and your insight about this, but I want you to know I'm still going to do what I want to do. And that is a really important indicator for you. You now know that you can share your wisdom, you can share your insight with as much humility as possible, and then you can back away and let them live their life. And that is what I have found works the best for me. Number one, waiting to be asked for wisdom. But if they don't ask, then I say like, hey, can I speak into this? I've got some concerns. How can I be on your team in this? Let them speak into that and then back away and let them walk things out. If this is an unwise decision that impacts you, you can also move out of the way and draw a healthy boundary. I know we're getting deep into this metaphor at this point, but I have very often felt like to be a good friend, I needed to lay down on the train track with them. And I don't perceive that that's what God's calling me to anymore. So if someone's behavior or their decision-making process is hurting you or harming you, you can say like, I love you so much. I'm going to love you from over here. You've heard my perspective. You're going to do with it what you want. But here's the final underlying point in this question. How do we speak and encourage our friends with wisdom or correction when we feel like they've veered off course? My underlying point that I want to encourage you with is this, is that most people do not change from being shamed or yelled at. Now, some people will change from being shamed or yelled at, but it historically does not lead to a lasting change in them. And then they may find themselves bitter and frustrated with you. They may even change their life because of your wisdom, but they will also probably change their relationship with you because they will not want to be as close to you as they were in the past. Question number five. I actually have to say, I think that this one got a little bit closer to the top. That This one is not our least asked question. So I probably put it at the wrong part in the podcast, but now we're all warmed up and ready. What do you do when you're the one constantly pouring out What do you do when you're the one constantly being the most flexible? What do you do when you're the one constantly serving the most? Insert your own version of this in that, whatever that looks like. Here's one thing that I think is really helpful is that I think perspective is so important. And what's wild is if I'm being really honest with you guys, I have friendships and relationships where I definitely do the majority of the pouring out. and. I have relationships where I get poured into a lot more than I could ever pour out. It's just perspective. I don't think any of us, again, is all villain or all victim. I don't think any of us is always the wise one and always the needy one. And I think that when we start to view people in those labels, even ourselves, we live into them. So by the time you ask the question, what do I do if I'm the one who's always pouring out? What do I do if I'm the one who's always serving? You probably have already crossed a line where you need to go back to them. Maybe you don't even have the conversation with them. Maybe you just have it with yourself, but you're probably at a place where you need to repent for having that perspective and potentially living into it. I'm not saying you're a part of the problem, but I'm saying you might not have been a part of the solution. Because the truth is, a lot of us love being the one who's always pouring out. We don't love how it feels and we don't love how it makes us feel lonely, but we do love the identity of being the one who tends to be the stronger one. And so we have to kind of pause and say like, yikes, that's true about me. 
I like that. Listen, I think some of us might like being the needy one. I think some of us might like living into this idea of like, ah, I'm a hot mess and thank you for always helping me. So I think watch for any time that we use that language a lot. Like for example, if you're the kind of person that you find yourself saying often like, oh, don't worry about me, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Check in on that. But also if you're the kind of person who finds yourself constantly saying like, oh, I'm sorry, I made this all about me. Next time I'll ask about you. That's something to check in on as well. We have to ask if our perspective on this situation is even correct because maybe it feels like it or maybe like three little tiny things happen that made us feel that way. Or maybe we're pouring out too much in one relationship and then that makes us blow up and say we're pouring out too much in another relationship. This happened to me really recently where I had a day where I just felt like a lot of people were asking for my help. A lot of people were taking from me. A lot of people were really just like needing me and needing help from me. And then I had a regularly scheduled time where I was set to help my husband with something. And he asked me like a few simple questions. And I started to live into this narrative of like, all you do is take for me. All you do is want from me, Nick, which is really far from the truth. Nick Connolly is an incredible provider and supporter and friend, and he does so much for me every single day. But the truth was I had loosened my boundaries in all of these other places. And I had been trying to be everybody else's support person. So I couldn't show up for him. So we do have to just check and make sure that our perspective is even correct. The next thing is if you constantly find yourself being the one who pours out or is the most flexible or serves the most, you really have to be honest and say, Am I asking for help? Am I offering vulnerable or transparent information about how I'm doing? Am I letting people see my weakness? Because oftentimes it's not that everybody else is a taker. It's that we don't know how to take and receive from others as well. And so I wanna encourage you, even if it's vulnerable, even if it's scary, it may even take a really honest conversation of going to someone and say, this is not natural for me. It's actually not all that natural for me to say I need your help. And that I want to be transparent and tell you that I don't like it. I don't want to do it. But maybe going that honest to them is the way to do it. Another question to ask in response to this question is, is the person you feel like you're always serving or pouring out to, are they in a season where they really just can't be as supportive? Our lives ebb and flow and looking at different people in different moments of their lives and knowing they cannot be my support person right now is actually incredibly mature, I believe. Looking at them and saying, this is not that season for them. Now, number one, try not to write that over people if they wouldn't write that over themselves. Because it may be that later on they tell you like, I would have never said that. I would have never said I couldn't be on your team. I would have never said I couldn't be your support person. But all of a sudden, now you just decided that I couldn't. So maybe it's worth, again, an honest and humble conversation. But if your friend is going through something traumatic or really painful, if they're dealing with depression, if they have just had a new baby, if they got a new job that's overwhelming for them, try not to be the squeaky wheel that's like, but what about me? Maybe it's a season to go to somebody else for the support that you're looking for. Calmly, humbly, Directly sharing your perspective is always, always, always a great start. Okay, question number six, we're gonna go out with a bang. What do I do if I always feel left out? 
I can't tell you, it's interesting. I don't feel like I got this question a ton on social media, but I do feel like as a local church leader, this is one of the number one concerns I hear from women in my community who, who would say like, I feel like I'm trying. I feel like I'm showing up. I feel like I'm going to groups. I feel like, you know, I'm pursuing people. I still feel left out. I still feel like I see X, Y, and Z people on social media hanging out and they're hanging out without me and it's hurting my feelings. So to kick off this question, I'm going to tell you the most embarrassing story about me that I've ever shared ever on the podcast. And when I wrote in the notes that I was going to tell this story, my whole team said, I just put, I just put the note funny story. And my whole team said, we really hope you're going to tell the story we want you to tell. So just know that I'm very embarrassed about what I'm about to say. Almost a year ago, I was in a season where I was definitely believing and living into a narrative that I was everybody's support person. And I was definitely believing and living into a narrative that everybody wanted me to be their pastor and they wanted me to be their coach, but they didn't really want me to be their friend. And because I was believing that lie and because I was believing that narrative, again, I was also living into it. So what had happened was this. We were in our office one day and a couple of the gals in our office who I'm also very close friends with started talking about the plans that they had for this weekend. They were talking about a comedy show they were going to go to. And I happened to love this comedian. The last time this comedian was in town, I didn't get to see her. And I am listening just, you know, silently as they're like, oh, we're going to go see her. Where are we going to go to dinner afterwards? And to be honest, like I could tell they felt a little awkward about talking about it in front of me, but it was just an interesting conversation. It was just a little weird. But I was like, uh, what? <laughs> What's happening? Why are they talking about me going? And I had to go to a meeting outside of our office. So I left, I left the office and I called my husband and I started crying like an eight-year-old child. And I was like, I just don't understand. Why are they inviting me? Why am I not going with them? Why are they not inviting me to dinner? What is the deal? I'm like so hurt. My feelings are so hurt. Let's lift the veil. Some of you might be like, aren't you the boss? Like, don't <laughs> Like, isn't that inappropriate? Yeah, it was. But I'm also a human and it was also a confusing situation for me, okay? So it was weird. So I go to this meeting, I stop crying. Nick, my very wise husband is like, babe, you gotta go back and talk to them about it. You gotta just be honest. He's giving me essentially the advice I'm giving you. And he was like, you gotta just, you gotta just go and say like, guys, that was weird. Why are you not inviting me? Why am I not going to dinner? And I was like, well, you're probably right, but I'm not going to do that. I think what I said in my eight-year-old temper tantrum was, I'm just never going to be friends with them again. I think I was like, I'm going to work with them and I'm going to be their boss, but I'm never going to invite them anywhere either, ever again. Done. I was in a real hard spot in my friendships in this moment. I was not, I was not being very wise and mature. So I get back from the meeting. I wipe my tears up. I go in hard and tough. I zip up my feelings. I'm just going to be a boss. I'm going to finish out the work day and I'm going to leave and I'm going to pretend like I don't need anyone or anything. And when I go back, one of my friends slash coworkers, I think casually was like, what are you up to this weekend, Jess? And that was it for me. I started sobbing like someone very close to me had died. I was speaking unintelligibly and I was just distraught. And I was like, I just don't understand 
why you guys would not invite me. I love that comedian. I like to eat dinner. That's a line I actually said. I have to eat. Like, I have to eat dinner. I was a mess. I was a wreck. And they were, of course, a little shocked and unsure. But they were very compassionate. They were like, we're really sorry. We felt weird, too. Like, we're sorry. We love you so much. We love you. We're sorry. This was weird. I was like, well, I'll see you later. Have fun at the show. And I walked out of the office. But on the way out of the office, I stopped. And I went to the bathroom because I had to go to the bathroom. And when I came out of the bathroom, my dear friend, Anna Victorson, who was there in the office that day and runs Go and Tell Girls with me, she was waiting outside the bathroom for me. And she said, I love you. And I do not want you to feel bad at all. I don't want you to feel silly. And I don't want you to feel embarrassed. But I do have to show you something. And she pulled up the text thread where they had invited me to the comedy show and dinner weeks earlier. And I had said, I'm sorry, I can't go that night. It's my son's birthday. So I had told an entire story, an entire narrative about them not loving me, about me being left out with very faulty information. And thankfully, my people love me enough that they are still my friend and they forgave me for being so dramatic. My point is this. There are times that you're actually being left out. There might be times. I wish this wasn't true, but I know that for some of us it is. There might actually be times in your life where you're being intentionally left out, where you're being excluded. I would hope in the name of Jesus that you would trust God enough to find new friends because there are people out there who do not want to hurt you. But for the majority of us who are in healthy relationships, when we feel left out, it's not because someone's trying to hurt us. It's because people make different connections and it's okay for them to want to do something with three people or 10 people, or they legitimately forgot to include you on the group text, which you could say like, well, am I not memorable enough? Listen, I have four kids and I call them Elias Glory Benja Cannon sometimes because I don't necessarily immediately have name recall. I think that most of our experiences of exclusion are not really about people trying to hurt us. That being said, I do believe we should grieve and process them with God so we don't get bitter and resentful. I do believe that we should be aware of where we are potentially leaving other people out. Someone came to me a couple of months ago in our community who was deeply hurt about people leaving them out. And I kid you not, not a week later, someone else came to me complaining about that exact same person saying, that person left me out of all of these things. All I could say was like, don't we see what the enemy's trying to do? <laughs> He's trying to make us all think that we're excluded and that other people are leaving us out. It's real, it's honest, but like, let's don't let this take us out. Let's be people who don't say, who's gonna invite me, but who say, who can I invite? Let's be people who don't say, here I am. Are you thinking about me? Have you invited me? Are you showing up for me? But let's be people who invite others in, who pursue instead of growing bitter and resentful that we're not being pursued. Let's be people who pursue and pursue again and don't pursue one time and then grow bitter because people didn't respond well. Share your hopes with your people. 
Say, I would hope we could do this together. I would hope I would get to do this with you. And share your hope in them. Put these words in your mouth. I am sure you didn't mean to hurt me. I'm sure you didn't mean to exclude me. And FYI, it made me feel a little funky. Let's learn from our middle school selves that there's a more comprehensive and compassionate way to have this conversation. Here are my final parting words for you about messy, beautiful friendship. Number one, grace is better in theory and harder in practice. It is difficult to have grace for people, but it is the way to live because grace has been extended to us. Boundaries are better in theory and harder in practice. And yet the most boundaried people are often the most compassionate and hopeful people because they don't feel like everyone is trying to take from them and they know what they have to give. Honesty and humility are easier in theory and harder in practice. Be humble with your people. Lastly, all of this is messy and it's so worth it. Now, here's my favorite thing about this podcast. Let's say it's drummed up some thoughts for you. Let's say it's drummed up some ideas for you. Let's say it's stirred up some convictions for you. My favorite thing to offer you is this tool. Take a screenshot of wherever you're listening to this podcast, text it to your friend or multiple friends and say, hey, this stirred up a lot of feelings for me. Can we talk about it? I will be your conversation starter. I will be the one who makes it awkward. Now, After you both listen to it, get back together and say, okay, tell me, what did that stir up for you? Tell me, what did that make you feel? Listen, you can ask, tell me, how did you disagree with Jess? Because you get to, because this is our podcast. And my perspective is only my perspective. And I got there by going the way that I've gone. But you will have your own perspective that is filled with wisdom and insight. Let me pray for all of us in our messy but worth it friendships. Father, I thank you that you loved us first. I thank you that you moved toward us, the messiest people to be friends with. And at just the right time, you chose us as not only your kids, but your friends and your ambassadors. And so we just ask in the name of Jesus that we would be able to receive the generous grace and compassion that you come toward us with, and that we would be able to turn around and extend it to our people. God, make us into good friends in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, be gentle, but complete. Show us where we've been blind. Show us where we've been neglectful. Show us where we could have loved better. And then help us to grow friendships that are truly impactful for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm so grateful you listened to today's episode. Thanks for spending time with me. It would mean the world to me to connect with you. So you can send me a DM on Instagram at Jess A. Connolly or head to my website, jessconnolly.com for more ways to connect. If you have a minute to subscribe and leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen, it would massively help us reach more people with the good news that they can live fully awake. Let's go.